0: Evan, there's been a lot of changes this off season for your team. How do you feel your chances are in the AL East?
1: Um, I mean, I love our chances. Good morning, and welcome to episode 129 of Effectively Wild, the Baseball Prospectus Daily Podcast. In New York, New York, I am Ben Lindbergh, and in Long Beach, California, you are Sam Miller. Hello. Sam. Hi, Ben. Hi. Hi. Uh, today is the third installment of our season preview series. Which means uh, since we are East Coast biased and started with the AL East, we will be talking about last season's third place team in the AL East, the Tampa Bay Rays, with Adam Sabzi, uh representing BP and the BP annual, and Roger Mooney uh, re- representing, I guess, the mainstream media. Uh, he, he covers the, the Rays for the Tampa Tribune and, and tbo.com. Uh, but... We thought, or I guess really I thought, uh, we could pause just for a few minutes um, to talk about the, the steroid stuff that surfaced yesterday, which is probably something we would have talked about if we weren't doing the, the season preview uh, episode. And Matt Trueblood uh, tweeted at us earlier and said, best part of being an Effectively Wild listener, there's a decent chance of no A-Rod talk on the podcast tomorrow. Uh, so that kind of reconfirmed my commitment to talk about this. Um,
2: I, I'm on your side, Matt. I have, I have not consented <laughs> to this. I'm still I'm still debating how much to participate.
1: I don't actually want to talk about arod. It's just I guess my general reaction to this story. I I woke up yesterday and saw the story and read the story and I felt like it didn't change my opinion on on the state of, of PED use in baseball, I guess at all really in in one direction or another uh, and I, I kind of question how much we've Learned uh, about anything and I wonder whether you felt the same way. I, I guess I mean It's it's not news at this point that baseball players and and professional athletes in general will go to great lengths to pursue an edge In some cases even beyond what is legal or beyond what is sanctioned by their leagues Uh, so that is not surprising and even the identity of of most of the people mentioned in this report is is not particularly surprising Uh, I guess in the fact in the sense that a few of these guys uh, Cologne and and Grandal uh, I mean, they've, already Milky. yeah, and Melky have, have already been, if they've already tested positive, they've already been suspended. Uh, and you figured they got the stuff they got somewhere. So now I guess we know where we have uh, a better idea, possibly of where it came from. But I mean, beyond that, I, I, I mean, does it surprise you that this this, anything about this story, I guess. I mean, I, and, and even, I guess there's been some reaction, uh, like I just went to to ESPN's MLB page and, and the the main story there is by Jason Stark. And I don't know whether he wrote this or, or a headline writer wrote this, but kind of the the subtitle is the latest PED mess could be the tipping point for baseball to finally clean up its act. Huh. And I don't get it. It's super duper cleaned up
2: the act that is I mean, the act is very cleaned up I don't and effective it seems to me
1: Yeah or at least this story doesn't make me think it's any less cleaned up yeah. or effective than I thought before and if anything this is an endorsement of of the system I think yeah. I, I mean it seems like this whole story kind of came out or or a large part of its development came from the fact that MLB investigators were pursuing the story right or, or an associate of, of Melky's and kind of digging into it and there's been a whole mlb task force or or something about it there was a a times article i think by michael s schmidt that that kind of uh detailed the investigation that mlb has done and is continuing to do and most of the guys mentioned in this report are players who've tested positive and and have been suspended and that's kind of how the system is mm-hmm. supposed to work. And I, I guess you could say that the, I don't know, that the punishment should be harsher and if they had been harsher then they never would have done this in the first place. I guess you could say that, but I mean it would be much more worrisome to me if we had never, if these had been players that we'd never heard of connected to PEDs before and then you start to wonder, how deep does it go and what else don't we know about and and how many other players are kind of slipping through the cracks here. But I don't know this, I I feel like I, other than some names I hadn't heard before, uh, as far as, you know, people who were in charge of this facility and the facility itself, I didn't know that before, but otherwise I feel like I haven't learned anything very important. I guess, I guess there's an effect I don't even know if there's an effect on A-Rod's legacy, which was pretty compromised already. I guess he will be even more despised than he was before if it, if it turns out that these allegations are true. But I don't know. Did, do you take anything else away from this story?
2: No, I I think I agree with everything you said. I, every, I think this comes up every time somebody tests positive, um, especially when it's somebody notable. I think this the exact... Same argument came up when Melky was popped uh, earlier this year. About you know how this is evidence that it's still a problem. And in fact, I think um, I think there are only two ways that that it becomes a problem in a sport. One is that you have such overwhelming uh, usage that, like cycling, it is impossible to compete without it. And that it is just presumed that every player in the top, you know, you know that 96 percent of the the top players are all on steroids. And that's obviously not the case, I I think, or at least if it is, then it's pretty doggone well disguised. The other is when you get the feeling that, um, there is institutionally a blind eye toward it. Um, that, um, as you know, kind of, as I think it was in the nineties that the league didn't take a great interest in it. Um, the media didn't take a great interest in it. The players didn't take a great interest in it. The, um, uh, you know, team personnel didn't take a great interest in it, and when you see a sort of institutional lack, uh, laxness uh, like that, that's troubling I think, and that's clearly not the case right now there is, uh, there are some people who are still trying to get by the rules, there will be people popped every year, a few of them it seems, um, but there's no indication that the league takes this uh, anything less than seriously and there's no indication that these are um, you know, more than a minority of um, of athletes. So yeah, I mean, I, I think I agree with what you say. To me, this is validation uh, and it does not make me think less of baseball at all.
1: Okay. Aren't you glad we talked about steroids?
2: Nope.
1: <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, that was
2: a, that was painless. You're right. Yeah,
1: that was okay. Uh, Good job, Ben. Thank you. Yeah, I didn't... Yeah, I don't want to make it seem like I think MLB has handled the, the entire steroid... Oh, we're era. still talking about steroids. <laughs> the entire, entire steroid era flawlessly, but I, I think... I mean, their press release came out today and basically said, hey, we already caught these guys, so uh, this is working, and I buy it. So there will be lots of hand wringing uh, that will ensue, and maybe has already ensued, but my hands are not wrung. Uh, so now we will stop this, and we will call Adam Sabzi, and we will talk about the race. And we're back. I've <laughs> forgotten to say. Just because we don't really have multiple. Uh, we now are joined by Adam Sabzi, who wrote the RAISE chapter in BP 2013 and uh, has covered the Durham Bulls for a long time and knows a lot of stuff about the RAISE and the organization. So he's going to talk to us about uh, the Bay now. Hello, Adam.
3: Hey, guys. How are you? Good
1: you have a question, Sam? Uh,
2: yeah, sure. Uh, how are you?
3: <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing great.
2: <laughs> All right, good. Uh, so, okay, so, you know, the Rays um, famously are um, adept at getting their young players to sign for a uh, very long time, very early with lots of team extensions. Um, I think that it probably is the case that David Price is not likely to sign such an extension at this point. So who should they be? Who do you think is the next player that that sort of deal would be attractive for both sides?
3: Well, depending on how he does in spring training and then presumably in the majors as soon as he comes up, I have to think that they're already thinking about Will Myers, who, if he he is what they think he is, looks like a cornerstone for years to come and i have to think that that's why they pulled the trigger on that deal do you think that he that would be the first guy as far as i'm concerned
1: do you think that he could sign a sort of longoria type extension where or the first longoria extension i guess where he signs before he has established himself at all even if he's still-
3: He seems like the little I know about Myers, which is not so much so far, but the little that I know about him, he seems like he might be inclined. I think a lot of it has to do with a sort of pipeline of philosophy that's come down through Tampa Bay that apparently started with Eric Hinsky, where when they had Longoria up in the majors for whatever it was a week or 7 seconds or something and offered him that initial deal which i think was 6 years and 17 million or something like that Hinsky said hey don't pass up don't pass up a chance to make your first fortune and Longoria really took that to heart signed the deal and then i think that that same philosophy got passed down to Matt Moore when he signed his you know team friendly multi-year deal. So I wouldn't be surprised if there's just kind of a thing going on in Tampa Bay where these guys are saying, look, they're making you an offer. It's maybe a good idea to go ahead and take it. You don't know what's going to happen next year or three years from now.
2: Yeah, it's interesting because it seems like this is a a strategy that um, certainly from the, um, you know, from the uh, among writers, this is a strategy that is, uh, you know, seems very smart it seems to have a, a fairly high success rate. Um, you can see where the team is leveraging um, a kind of wealth advantage over the player early on. Um, mm-hmm. And yet it, the Rays have done it so much more successfully than other teams. And, and I just wonder uh, what it is about the Rays that, that seems to make it um, more possible for them to do it. Cause I mean, you know, I, I would imagine that the giants would have been happy to sign Buster Posey to, a six-year, seventeen-million-dollar deal with three extremely friendly club extensions when he was new too. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, how do you how do you convince the guy to do it? And most players uh, don't seem to be that interested in it. And Rays players seem to be fairly interested in it.
3: For whatever reason, the the Rays organization seems to make some kind of personal connection with its players that makes them want to play there. And makes them happy to be there I'm not really sure how they do it because who knows what the inner workings of all that are like I have to think that some of it has to do with Joe Madden who works really hard to develop relationships with his guys but they're doing something that's that's making guys want to sign up and be there some of it is you know they're working hard to win every year they're not a franchise that that tries to win one year either does or doesn't and then decides to rebuild for a couple of years. They they try to reload every year on their, you know, on their 15 cents that they have, but they do it. And I think they make that clear to guys. We're here to try to win regardless. And I also think, you know, going forward it's going to be really interesting to see how much more optimistic players get about this because the Rays did not have to go to Longoria and re-extend him for a whole lot more money and they did. Uh, you know, he's going to make a hundred million dollars from them now. And to some degree, I think that was a that was their way of saying thank you for taking the first really team-friendly extension. Now we're going to meet you in the middle. Um, that kind of that kind of outgoing attitude and that kind of optimism about saying, you know, we're going to work with you as two you know two parties trying to do the best thing for both of us, I thought that, that was that was a bold move and rewarded Longoria for having agreed to the initial deal, which was obviously ludicrously team-friendly. Mm-hmm.
2: So Ben and I talked, it, uh, and as I recall, I might be wrong, but I think we disagreed on it at the time, um, when they did sign Longoria to that move, I, I kind of argued that in fact uh, it didn't really hamstring them in the future, that it actually freed them up in a lot of ways because uh, they knew they were going to have uh, a cost-controlled, probably star. I mean, if if he, if he, uh, you know, if his career ends in two years, or if he turns into a terrible ball player, then of course that will hamstring them. But um, with the presumption that he'll age decently, um, it basically guarantees that they're going to have um, a all-star level player that's only going to be costing them about you know fifteen million dollars, which is going to be extremely affordable in five ten years. Um, Ben sort of looked at it more from the perspective that this was the Rays, a team with very narrow margins and they can't afford to miss on such a big contract, putting a lot on the line for Longoria and potentially uh, limiting what they would be able to do in the future. Do you have a sense that... um, that with Longoria signing that deal, for instance, do you think that it makes it more likely or less likely that they're able to, uh, you know, extend price to a big contract or, uh, you know, invest more money or less money, basically, in other players?
3: Uh, I have to think that the Rays. I mean, they have been very shrewd about what they do with their money, and they don't make a lot of mistakes. And. And they do think in the long term. I mean, I know that the, the new revenue deal is freeing up a bunch of money for them and that they basically threw that at Longoria. I I actually think that it's going to be easier for them to at least consider going after Price on a long-term deal because they'll, they'll keep... I think what the Rays are going to do is throw big money at guys like Longoria and Price and meanwhile go after Fernando Rodney's and, well, Kelly Johnson, to take a, an example from yesterday, you know, guys who are coming cheap to essentially offset the big contracts that they have to throw at these other guys. I, I mean, the, I, I have no idea, and I certainly wouldn't want to predict what they're going to do, but I would not be at all surprised if they at least approach price with, you know, a, I don't know, a five- or seven-year deal that will probably underpay him, just as Longoria is going to be underpaid, you know if if he performs to the level that we're accustomed to seeing him perform at. And maybe Price will say no, but it wouldn't surprise me at all if rather than than deal him before his contract is up or just let him walk when he's a free agent and thank him for his service, if they if they throw some more money at him, they know what they have to spend, and they know that that amount's going to be increasing over the next well over the foreseeable future as long as revenue in the in MLB as a whole it keeps going up uh, I mean, yeah is, go
2: ahead is there a
3: you you watch the the Rays
1: triple team probably is as much or more than you watch the Rays themselves is there mm-hmm. uh, is there any sort of Rays way uh, sort of an equivalent of the Oriole way that that extends into the lower levels of the organization? It, it seems like a team like the Rays that is always looking for an extra edge would sort of be looking for that edge from the moment a player enters their organization, not just when they get to the major league roster. So is there anything that you've seen either uh, in terms of a style of play or just in, in terms of making a player feel a part of the organization that the Rays do at that level that maybe other teams
3: don't? I think there's a big premium placed on utility and that they, I mean, sure they'd like the guys that they draft to turn into, you know, Evan Longoria, who's going to play third base for the rest of his career and be great at it. But I think they're very quick to identify guys who are, whose best chance of making the majors and sticking there and helping the team is going to be through their versatility. And I see that in AAA a lot. Uh, you know, guys guys are billed as being a shortstop or a starting pitcher. And as soon as it's clear that that's not the way that their efficiency is going to be maximized, they'll, they'll make a change quickly. Jake McGee had been a starter for for his entire career came up from double A to triple A and was instantly transferred to the bullpen the minute he got there. And at first it seemed like, Oh, maybe, maybe they're just giving the bulls a closer for the rest of the season. But no, it was very clear that they decided that along with his transition to triple A, there was going to be a transition to relieving, Uh, Tim Beckham, who was the number one pick in the draft in 2008 and has so far not made good on that promise, had been a shortstop his whole career. And he last year started to play second base as well. I think that the Rays really work hard to squeeze the most value out of players by figuring out how many different things they can do for them. Ben Zobrist obviously being the you know, the cardinal example of that. Mm-hmm.
2: I think a Rays fan watching the big league club would uh, certainly notice fairly quickly that that the team is run differently than other major league teams. Would a Durham Bulls fan watching um, the Durham Bulls sort of in isolation, um, separate from the big big league club, uh, notice that the the Durham Bulls are a different sort of AAA club, or are they fairly traditional?
3: That's a good question. I think... That if you were paying attention, you'd notice that more guys play more positions for the Bulls than maybe they do for, uh, I don't know, the Columbus Clippers or something like that. Uh, and and it's it, you know it's that mutually reinforcing thing where you have guys that can play multiple positions, so they do that, but at the same time the Rays are are also dictating that from above, so that. You know, it's it's completely normal to see a guy move all around the diamond during the course of a season. Elliot Johnson, who played for the Bulls for parts of three or four seasons, I think played every position on the field except catcher, first base, and center field. Uh, and that's... I I think a Durham Durham Bulls fan watching the team would probably figure that out pretty fast. And almost all of their outfielders play all three outfield positions, except the guys that are just too slow to play center. But if you can play center, you're also going to play left and right.
2: Should we get a prediction from him, Ben? Uh, Well, I was going to ask,
3: I mean,
1: this team won, what, 90 games last season and has Mm -hmm. had a a fairly active uh, winter. But I guess the biggest move of the offseason has been trading a veteran or trading multiple veterans for a prospect who may or may not play a a significant role this year. So has this team gone backwards at all for 2013 uh, alone? Or has it managed to compensate for losing Shields, losing Davis uh, with some of its other moves, do you think?
3: I think... That they've got a pretty good chance to make the playoffs this year. There's still, you know, there's probably nobody who's going to give them exactly what Shields gave them. But if Myers can hit a bunch of home runs from a corner outfield position, and if they can get approximate performance from any combination of the other guys that they have who can start, uh, Chris Archer, who. Looks to me like he's pretty close to ready. Um, Neiman and Cobb will be fighting for a spot. There's also Jake Odorizzi, who was picked up in the Shields deal, who's, you know, more of a finesse guy, but he, he looks like he's pretty close to ready, also. And then there's Roberto Hernandez, you know, the the pitcher formerly known as Fausto Carmona, who if if he's got his mojo back, he he could arguably be a pretty good starter for them. I think what they're basically trying to do is just hedge a little bit. We're going to lose Shields, but if we can get more of a bat out of a guy like Myers and get approximate performance from another starter, we'll be okay. And as for losing Davis, you know, they've signed some arms here in the offseason to to throw relief innings for them that that might be pretty close to as successful Again, with the Rays, everything always has to break right. I think they'll get better performance from from the shortstop position, which was miserable until they moved Zobrist there last year with Escobar, unless he falls completely off of a cliff. Um, That allows Zobrist's utility and versatility to be maximized better because he can play second base, right field, wherever you need him on a given day. And I also feel like Luke Scott, if he's healthy especially given that he started covering the inside of the zone a little bit better in the second half of the year has a pretty good chance to be a much better DH this year than he was last year. And I think think what the Rays are doing here is basically gambling that they can get more offensive production to offset that with their losing in builds. But with that team, the margin of error is always tiny. Everything has to go right. They undershot their Pythagorean win expectation by six games last year. Mm -hmm. While the Orioles overshot theirs by I think 11. Yes. So if, and that's the kind of thing that cost them the playoffs last year. If if things regress to the mean or or even just improve a little bit, they've got a they've got a good shot. I, I actually don't think that they're a worse team than they were last year. They'll be different, but not worse. Okay. So
1: to ask for the
3: obligatory prediction, which I guess you've kind of hinted at, uh,
1: where do you see them finishing exactly? And and I guess would you
3: then take the over on 90 wins? I would barely take the over, mm-hmm. and and obviously it depends a little bit on what other teams do, but I see them as a wild-card team. Mm-hmm. I'm, I, I might ordinarily go higher than that, but given what the Blue Jays have been doing this off season, that division has gotten nastier. <laughs> yes. So, you know, it's hard to say, but I, I, I think they can win 92 games and squeeze in. All right that is very precise
1: uh thank you for joining us adam um yeah and uh, coming up after the the intro is pete with uh roger mooney from the tampa tribune
3: it may still be winter but baseball prospectus is ready to play ball pete barrett is taking you around the league with 30 insiders who cover major league baseball Step into the box. The Squeeze is on.
4: And welcome to The Squeeze. I'm Pete Barrett and joining me today on the telephone is Roger Mooney who covers the Tampa Bay Rays for the Tampa Tribune and tbo.com. Roger, how are you?
0: Doing well. How about yourself?
4: Great. Thanks so much for joining us. 15 Rays, already getting a jump start on spring training. Rays fans got to love that.
0: Oh, yeah, well, you know, it it, kind of helps, too, that uh, a lot of guys live, you know, year-round in the Tampa area, and then, you know, so why not go up to the stadium and work out? So, uh, you know, that guys get together, and, uh, you know, the training staff's there, so they do all their fitness and cardio stuff, and then they can go hitting doors, and the pitchers can go throw off the bullpen mound, so... Yeah, it's, uh, it's kind of a nice little unique thing that they have here. I don't think you see too many twins at Target Field uh, these days getting ready <laughs> like the Rays are.
4: Yeah, way too cold for that. One guy who obviously isn't in Rays camp is going to be James Shields. He's gone in one of the biggest offseason moves. How big of an impact is that going to have on the pitching staff in 2013?
0: Well, his, his impact obviously is the amount of innings he can, he can pick up during the season uh, and then... Uh, and Probably his impact, one, a would be uh, the way he kind of his work ethic and how it's rubbed off on the rest of the staff and how it's it's kind of set the tone. But the biggest thing, uh, I mean, the, the pitchers work hard and they're not going to certainly slack off now that they don't have uh, James around to, to to get on their uh, get on their case. But the big thing will be the innings. Uh, they really, uh, outside of David Price, I think it would be kind of a leap to think that uh not more Jeremy Hellickson could go. 200 innings, but um, if if everybody can kind of maybe, you know, on the, on the other four guys in a rotation, if they can kind of pick up another 20 innings this season, it might make up for what they're, uh, you know, the void left by Shields. But, you know, a lot of these young guys, you know, the Rays kind of don't like to get a whole lot of, a, a big of an increase from year to year uh, in the amount of innings pitched by the young pitchers. So... You know, I think Helich was at uh, 170 last year, or one, uh, 177, something like that. And Moore was exactly the same, except I think he threw a third of an inning more. So I don't think he's gonna. They're gonna want to put that much of wear and tear on, on his arm. So or on their young arm. So uh, you know, Neiman could help out if he comes back and is healthy and has a pretty decent season. But I think the rest of the innings you're gonna see picked up by uh, the middle guys in the bullpen. That's why they went out and got Jamie Wright because he's a the veteran pitcher who can pick up a, a lot of innings, and I think Roberto Hernandez, uh, formerly known as Faso Carmona, uh, will, will kind of fit in the same thing in, in the bullpen. A guy that can come in middle innings and kind of bridge the gap before they can get to uh, McGee and Peralta.
4: Right. Now to go back to the Shields trade for just a second, what did you make of sending Shields and Wade Davis um, from Tampa Bay in a six-player year in a 6 deal that sent top prospects Will Myers and Jake Cardozi back to the Rays. What do you make of the deal overall? Well,
0: I think, uh, speaking on behalf of Rays fans, I, I think the, you know, they were a little disappointed. They, they gave up James Shields and Wade Davis, you know, who, who last year was a starting pitcher. So essentially gave up two starting pitches for four minor league prospects. Unfortunately, yeah, I think a lot of people would like to see them got some major league-ready guys. Uh, but that's how the Rays deal things. They've got to sell high and buy, you know, and buy cheap. So, but you know, they really don't have a minor league prospect uh, that you would look at as a hitter. So, uh, you know, Will Myers uh, fits that bill. Now they got a guy down there who looks like when when he's ready, he'll be able. To, he should be able to come up and help the offense. Also, uh, other than Chris Archer. I don't think they really have a starting pitcher at AAA that they would feel comfortable popping in there, uh, you know, for, for some big starts at the major league level. But now you got or, or DeRozzi, so you know, and with him and and the Archer, you know, they got a little bit of a combination here. They could maybe if they get a couple of sports uh, spot starts, they bring up the right hander, or maybe they bring up the left hander, or the way they like to do things, they could bring up the right hander one one day and then five days later bring up the lefty or something <laughs> like that. So it gives them a little bit more depth uh with starting pitching. Obviously you're losing shields, so um you know, that's a that's a big hole there and uh but now they you know, they got somebody back that obviously is not um as as polished as Shields nor experienced as Shields, but they got somebody in in the minor leagues that, you know, could you could see in the major league rotation or at least helping out in the very near future.
4: We're talking Ray's baseball on the squeeze. With Roger Mooney, make sure you're following him on Twitter at R-M-O-O-N-E-Y-T-B-O. Let's stick with the way the Rays do things, as you were talking about just before. This is Baseball Prospectus, a brand dedicated to the sabermetric study of the game. From your understanding, how advanced are the Rays relative to other teams in Major League Baseball in terms of the way they take advantage of New Age statistics and baseball analytics?
0: I, without knowing what the other teams are doing, I can't say. I can't see anybody being any more advanced than they are. They're they're pretty out front of, of everything. For instance, in 2008, when they traded for Jason Bartlett, uh, he wasn't exactly the best fielder, with uh, when he was with Minnesota, but they, were, they saw something. They they that, that he was that was going to fit with him, uh, or or make him the right fit there. That, that whatever, uh, you know. Um, formulas they were using uh you know to grade him or to judge him or to rate him or whatever we want to phrase it he, he uh he graded out very high, so they went out and got jason Bartlett and you know uh, you know some people kind of looked at it said so, well gee you know you know your infield might be a little weaky and that was certainly not the case with him and then, in fact, he ended up being the m v p of uh of the team that went to the world Series you know he talked to Carlos Payne and some of the other guys in that in that locker room that year, and they would, they said they would never have uh, been as successful as they were if it wasn't for the way Jason Butler came in and played. So, you know, however they measured him, they they certainly got it right. And with and with Farnsworth, they saw things that he could do that they felt if he just stayed doing that and and stopped throwing some of some of his other pitches, uh, he would be very successful. Same thing with Fernando Rodney. And uh, they just they, you know, i tried like heck. Uh, you know, to get them to let me do a story about how they kind of rate players, and and that's as uh, I bet it's probably easier to get into Fort Knox than it would be <laughs> to get into that into that room on the Rays. But they do it well. You know, uh, they're just certainly out in front of it. I, I I can't tell you how big their baseball ops. uh, uh, crew is, but I mean, it's very big, and, and those guys certainly do a good job. In fact, we were talking uh, this morning with hitting coach Derek Shelton, and I said, "I'm surprised you guys only just now uh, hired an assistant hitting coach. You know, you know, like about half the teams have it in the in the in the league." And I figured you guys, you know, the way they do things, it would have been out front with getting that. And he kind of agreed, but you know, now they they finally feel we need to have an assistant hitting coach. But that's just how they do things, you know. It's you know, they've got their ways of rating ballplayers. And for the most part, it turns out pretty well.
4: Awesome. Now, as part of the Effectively Wild podcast, Ben Lindbergh and Sam Miller are talking to the BP authors that wrote the chapter for the annual. So with you, I really want to focus now on um, inside the clubhouse. Take us into what it's like. It seems like the Rays are just really a fun group to be around. Yeah, they
0: are never ever uptight, although I shouldn't say that. Last year when they had that bad series in Baltimore, when they got swept in Baltimore last September, you could tell they were pressing, and only because I think they they kind of felt that uh, they were expecting the Orioles to kind of fall off the pace there, and the Orioles didn't, so I think that was kind of a a little bit of a a wake-up call for them. But, you know, Joe Madden keeps it very loose. Uh, He really has only two rules, you know, show up on time and play hard, and most of the guys are... You know, you can follow that. Um, you know, the theme road trips, a lot of people, uh, around the league kind of scoff at that, but the players kind of dig it and, uh, a classic example, a couple of years ago we're in Seattle and uh, the theme was a beach boy from uh Seattle Anaheim and so they, you know, come wearing your bathing suit and flip flops and all that <laughs> sort of stuff. Well JP JP Howell gives up a, a home run in the in the seventh race in and that ends up losing the ball game, and we're talking to JP and he's he's about as down as, as I've ever seen the guy. And and you hear what appears to be someone blowing something up and we turn around and behind us is David Price and he's blowing up his water wings, you know, and he just kind of shrugs his shoulders and we look back and Howell's laughing, you know, and that's just how it is. They they have a rule where, you know, they, they celebrate a win for 30 minutes and they mourn a loss for 30 minutes and then it's okay, let's, let's go on to tomorrow. You know, no one died. Madden says that a lot after they lose. No one died. Let's just, it's just a ball game. You know, we'll come back and play well tomorrow. They get hit with a perfect game last year, and then they go and they crush the they go and crush the Angels, and uh, you know in the following series. So it's it's really you know when the guys around the league here, from the guys on the Rays uh, how much fun it is to play there. And it's, I mean it's not just like a uh, you know frat house fun. These guys they put in their work and they work very hard when it's time to work. But then it's also you know you can come back and and. and and be loose you know when guys around the league hear that you know they want to come and play for a raise because you know may not you may not be playing in front of 50,000 like a, a Yankee Stadium or you know consecutive sellouts like you are in Boston but you're going to be playing for a manager who who's going to let you play who's going to you know not panic when you're slumping or not panic when you're Having trouble getting some from outs, from, you know, a couple of rough outings, and uh... the way they use their lineup, you, you're probably gonna, if you don't play every day, you, you're gonna play almost every day. So even if you're not in the starting lineup, you know, you may not be starting that game, but there's a good chance you're gonna be finishing it and playing a big role at the end of the game. And they they like that, you know. Nobody gets buried on the bench. Everybody contributes in their own way, and Joe has a way of putting guys the you know, not the the few starters like. Longoria, Jennings, or Zobers, who, you
3: know, are your everyday guys.
0: The other guys, he puts you in there against pitchers that, you know, you're better suited to handle and gives you a chance to succeed. So, you know, what's what's not to like about playing for the Rays?
4: Yeah, you talk about playing for the Rays, players enjoy it, but the city of Tampa Bay, principal owner Stuart Sternberg said, Major League Baseball doesn't believe anymore in the Tampa Bay area. What's the future for the Rays in Tampa Bay?
0: Well, that's a good question. Uh, you know, they want to move from the St. Pete side of Tampa Bay over to the Tampa side of, of Tampa Bay, where, where there's more population uh, immediately surrounding the team and easier access from the more populated areas heading heading east into the state toward the Lakeland, Orlando area. That's what they'd like to do. They they got the lease, and the mayor of St. Pete doesn't want to let them out of the lease. And you know, there's a little bit of a stalemate right now. I have a feeling. At some point, Major League Base- I don't think Major League will has given up on the area. Uh, if it did, I think we would be hearing the names of other cities being mentioned as possible uh, landing spots for these guys. Um, but I think, you know, Sternberg saying that last week in front of the Tampa uh, uh, Commission, or the Hillsborough County Commission, I think was uh, was kind of the first, maybe, uh, twist of the arm towards St. Peter Things have to start happening here. And I think at some point, uh, let's say, again, this crew are going to come in here and lawyers are going to come in and they're going to really start looking over that lease and say, you know, how airtight is it? Can it be broken? What kind of penalties are there? I think uh, the future of the Rays will be at some point in Tampa. It's not going to be next year or the year after, but I have a feeling sometime within the next two years you'll start seeing work on uh, building a stadium over in the Tampa area, probably down by where the Lightning play, because that's downtown, and, you know, people like to build ballparks downtown these days.
4: Right, and maybe Major League Baseball hasn't completely given up, but do you think anybody is discouraged um, when you make the comparison, perhaps, between what the Marlins did, uh, built a new ballpark in an area where they thought they could get more fans, and it, it pretty much failed? Do you think that there's a big enough crowd and a big enough uh, audience for th- these Rays to fill a stadium wherever they are. Well,
0: you know, the only way to really find out is to build a stadium in Tampa. Yeah. You know? And then if and then but then if nobody shows up, you got this nice little ballpark in Tampa that that nobody's <laughs> showing up to. I don't think the the Miami situation um is going to affect the Rays too much. Only because I, I think uh Sternberg should have enough um Goodwill in the community. He, he really, you know, he poured a lot of his own money into fixing up the trap. The trap is not, you know, you know he's ever going to call it a, one of the baseball cathedrals, but it's a heck of a lot better now than, than it was when he first took over. Uh, you know, cleaned it up and dressed it up and put in new lights, and now it's a bright place and a nice place. And also, he's got a winning team. Um, you know, a team that certainly you go toe to toe with the Yankees and the Red Sox and and the you know two teams in the East that no one ever thought the Rays would be able to, uh, you know, to take on on a yearly basis. And he's able to do that. And, and you know, Joe, Joe Madden says all the time, we, we may not have household names, but we have good names. So even though, you know, the Rays didn't go out and get Josh Hamilton this year or go sign Zach Grinke this year, you know, they feel that, you know, James Loney's going to make them a heck of a lot better baseball team and that you know Escobar is going to make them a heck of a lot better baseball team than they were last year. And, you know, these aren't household names, you know, maybe outside their own house but these are guys that are going to, you know, nobody really thought that Casey, you know, when they signed Casey Kochman a couple of years ago, you know, Dan Johnson was going to be the first baseman. You're almost like, well, why would they sign this guy? Well, he turned out to, you know, Johnson had a bad year. Kochman steps in and he has a very good year and, you know, a big part of the team that uh, came back to win the wild card. So, you know, if you, if you really know the game, uh, you know, uh, an fan, and you understand how the team works, um you know, you're not going to be discouraged. You, you know, you're going to think, okay, they're going to they're going to buy, a, build a new stadium. However, much revenue that generates, they're not going to take it and go throw it after, you know, uh, bad contracts by signing marginal uh, free agents or you know guys who are past their prime just to get some big names in here. They're still going to, you know, develop, you know, with the minor league players. They're still going to trade James Shields for Will Myers. They're still going to do all that. They're having more money from the new stadium may allow them to to keep David Price or to keep Desmond Jennings if he gets to that point where he's that type of player or, you know, <laughs> Will Myers, you know, but they're not going to have the big spending spree that the Marlins did, so then they're not going to ever have the big salary dump that the Marlins did. So, yeah. in short here, I know I'm kind of getting long-winded, but they're a much better uh, responsibly run baseball team than, than the Marlins ever were, and I, I don't and with that goal for him, I think when it comes time to, to vote in on the stadium, people are going to look at that more than, than they look at the Marlins, or at least I think people should look at that more than they do look at what the Marlins did.
4: Okay, I appreciate the comparison. Thanks for making it. Um, Thanks for clarifying it. Um, it's impossible to predict what's going to happen on the field. Uh, it's a daunting question. Uh, I know it's January, but let's just stick on paper, not even predicting performance. Where do the Rays stack up in the AL East in your mind?
0: I still think they're going to be near the top. They're they're going to pitch well and, and their defense is better. They gave up they gave away a lot of games in the early half of last season, um, you know, because they had some pretty bad infield defense. This year, that should be better. And uh, so the old formula of, of uh, you know great pitching, solid defense should come back into play. You know, so I think that alone will keep them you know near the top. They've been able to. To win this division or be close to winning this division with very little offense, so I don't think that's going to hurt them this year. Uh, obviously, the Blue Jays are the sexy team with all the moves they made, but you know, are they, is Jose Reyes going to stay healthy. Batista's is coming back from wrist surgery. You got a couple of guys who are going to be pitching in the American League East, which isn't a you know tough. You know, it's not easy to pitch there, so that could be some eye opening for them. And also, sometimes when you bring in that many new players. It takes more than more than a season. Uh, excuse me. It takes more than a season for them all to gel. You know, are, are the Orioles going to win what 18 straight extra-inning games and and you know be as great in one-run games as they were last year? Are they can be able to do that two years in a row. You know, have the Red Sox really? You know, uh, are they answering all their needs and starting to bounce back? And and what about the Yankees? Could this be the year the wheels finally fall off the Yankees? So. You know, I think every team in the East, uh, as, as, as the potential for good that they have, also have a lot of question marks. And I really kind of think, you know, not trying, you know, not trying to be a homer or anything, but just I think the Rays have less question marks than the other teams. and And their formula of good pitching and and solid defense, they've proved that it works, and it's that formula is not going to go away this year. So, I think the Rays, you know, like you said here in January. And, you don't know who, you know, an injury like nobody forecasted would happen to Longoria last year, so you don't know what could possibly happen. But, you know, if it's, if they have a, a relatively healthy year, I think they should be up near the top.
4: Yeah, I think the Rays are in a good spot. Roger Mooney, who covers the Tampa Bay Rays for the Tampa Tribune and tbo.com, thank you so much for giving us uh, some time tonight. Really appreciate you uh, taking some time out of your day. Oh, I appreciate it. Anytime. Thanks so much.